Good to be together, and, and you guys should get a special prize for being here on New Year's Day. Uh, others, not, not that we want to make others at home feel bad, but you get a special prize for coming here, uh, having stayed up for some of us, I know, till like 1 a.m. Um, so we're, we're grateful you're here. My name is Paul Buckley, and I'm the lead pastor here. And it's my privilege to bring you God's Word today. And often, in other years, we would bring a New Year's Day message, a New Year's message, um, at the start of the year. Uh, but I think it's appropriate. We're starting our series in Genesis to start with Genesis 1, chapter 1. That's where we'll be looking at this morning. Um, and the title of the message is, In the Beginning, God. We're starting this new series, Genesis chapters 1 through 22, will take us until the summertime. The title for it is Foundations. We'll be looking at this important book and all that it teaches us about essential aspects of how we are to live in the world that we are in. Um, I trust it will be a blessing for us um, as we all try to navigate what it means to live in this world. We live in a place that is a crazy mixed up place. There are many voices out there, numerous voices, competing to tell us really what the meaning of life is about, what it's about, uh, how we should understand the world that we encounter. Um, now, a lot of those voices actually are probably not self-aware that they're advocating a particular view, but they all are. There's no way actually to, to talk about the deeper things of life without some sort of view of life, without some sort of... Um, understanding or perspective, even if it's unconscious. I had a conversation with a relative of mine some time ago, uh, and, and she was sharing the, that it, she, thought it not, she thought it important not to mix religion and politics. And, and I, uh, I, well, I agreed that it's, it, it's good not to mix uh, religion, to use religion for political gain or to use politics for selfish selfish religious gain, I, I communicated to her that it's actually impossible to divide the two because religion is, is a word we use really for your worldview. It's for what you think, how, how you understand the world, how you understand who you are, where is, what is your place in the world, and, and of course that will have an influence on your politics and every aspect of life. Everyone has a worldview and there's lots of views that are out there. Our society is divided, fragmented, and confused uh, over what the meaning of life is and how we ought to live. Uh, even as we seek to find some common good uh, together, there's just, it, it's a, a maelstrom, it's a storm that's out there, and if we're not careful, we'll be swept away with it. And we have to be careful as Christians to think, well, you know, I don't hold those views. And you may not hold those views explicitly, but you are in the culture, you breathe the air of this culture. And the storm that is there is going to affect you and me regardless, unless we are aware and, and, and diligent together, by God's grace, to see things biblically. Why do I bring all this up? Well, this is the background to this book, Genesis. You see, it was given first to God's people as they came out of Egypt. They were coming out of a, a highly developed culture that was thoroughly pagan. Uh, pagan meaning meaning it's not centered on the God of the Scriptures, the real God. They were coming out of this culture that was a dominant culture, a very strong and thorough culture built around a, a pantheon of false gods and false notions. And they were going from Egypt into a new place, the land of Canaan, that also had all sorts of cultures and all sorts of, of 
worldviews behind those cultures and, and, and all sorts of really uh, dangerous worldviews that were there among the Canaanites, the Hittites. They were going to be put in a land between the, the Babylonians and the Egyptians right at the crossroads of culture. And then later we're going to face the powers of Persia, Greece, and Rome. So there were all these worldviews that were in them at the time because they had been in Egypt and around them. And they needed help in their predicaments. Does it sound familiar? We're in the same place. And we need help. And God has given us His Word. He's given us this wonderful book of the Bible. We're going to go through 22 of the 50 chapters in our series. And in this, I trust that we will benefit from what God intends this book to do, which is to teach us first who He is and who we are and what this world is all about. I think you'll find as we begin, even just with this first verse, and as we continue through the 22 chapters, that, that the truth of, of, of what the, everything is about, the kind of what our existence is about, is set straight by God in His Word in profound ways. And though this book is really the genesis of the whole story, genesis means beginning, in this book, we will find not only the beginnings, but also the endings. There are whispers and strong whispers and indications of how it ends and kind of how, what happens in between. So this wonderful book is going to serve us, I trust, to really put things in perspective and really set the, set the uh, groundwork for the rest of the Bible and the whole story that's unfolding in the Scriptures. So let's prepare to dig in. Just one verse today. Don't worry, uh, most of the series, most of the messages will be more than one verse, so we won't be here for the next 50 years, but we're just going to look at one verse, chapter 1, verse 1, but let's pray first and ask God to help us understand the, the amazing truths and power of His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and Lord, how we need Your help. Lord, we are, we are in the world, and You call us to be in the world, but not of the world, but Lord, it's so difficult because all the things we read about or so many things we read about and experience and see around us. So many of our relationships are, are built on things that are, that are half-truths. There are so many worldviews out there and we ask you to help us with your word. I pray today as we begin, Lord, and throughout this whole series, you would speak powerfully into our lives about the truth and we would be changed as a result. Lord, help me to, to clearly and concisely teach and I pray, Lord, through my teaching and proclamation of your word that, that, Lord, you would teach us and you would help us and you would set the record straight on things and as a result, we would enter into the life that is truly life that you give. Come Holy Spirit, empower us in these ways we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can turn in your journal or your Bible. First verse of Genesis, first verse of the Bible, it says simply this, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. One verse full of amazing truth. Matthew Henry, the Puritan Bible commentator, has this to say about this verse. The first verse of the Bible gives us a sure and better, a more satisfying and useful knowledge of the origin of the universe than all the volumes of the philosophers. The lively faith of Humble Christians understands this. This one verse 
teaches us more than all the volumes of the philosophers. It is a, contains a truth that is more satisfying and useful than anything else you might read. This one verse sets so many things straight about our existence. So let's dig into this verse. And I'm just going to go through the verse. That's the outline, the verse itself. Notice it says, it starts out this way, in the beginning. That itself is a profound statement. In the beginning. There is a beginning. The universe, creation, is not uh, an endless cycle. We don't happen to have existed in the you know, umpteenth cycle of the ex expansion and collapse of the universe. That's one of the theories that's out there, that, that um, the universe just keeps on expanding and collapsing, and we just happen to get lucky on the one expansion that we, we live on. Um, this says something contrary to that. It says, in the beginning, there was a beginning. It isn't in the pathway or whatever, there's a beginning, there's a start to this. It just doesn't go on and on. One of the, one of the newer theories is, is this idea of, of expansion and collapse. And then with it, what's called the anthropic principle, which basically means it doesn't matter anyhow because in order for you to, be, to exist and be able to talk about this stuff, you, you have to have existed somehow. So it doesn't matter how it started. And if it takes a, a gazillion cycles for you to exist and be here, whatever. You wouldn't even be arguing about it if you weren't in the right place. It's called the anthropic principles. It basically says that you're the measure of existence, is what it says. It's circular logic. It's one of the main philosophies that's out there today, driving things. Genesis 1, 1 doesn't say you exist in one of the endless cycles of the universe and you get lucky because you exist. No, it says, in the beginning. History, creation is linear. And the anthropic principle, you are not the measure of that existence. That existence happens outside of you. There's nothing here about you. You aren't in this verse. You don't come until a little while later, by the way. There is an existence, there's a reality outside of you. In the beginning, God. And we have to understand the culture we live in doesn't hold to this, really, functionally. There are theories as well as realities, the way we think naturally. We don't like to think of, of in the beginning God. We don't like to think of the reality that, the, that God is the creator. Everything flows from Him. He's the starting point. He's the reference point. We live in a culture that is thoroughly humanistic. And it pervades all of us in how we think about ethics, how we think about existence, how we think about all things. And there are truths we're going to get to in this verse and in the Bible that will offend you and will offend me because they do not kowtow to humanism. What God is doing here is He's adjusting our perspectives right at the beginning. Adjusting the perspectives of the Hebrews coming out of Egypt, adjusting us as Americans in our day and age. And we need to only look around us at our culture to recognize the contrary view, what humanism produces. Humanism, by the way, is, is a biblical thing. God cares about humans. We're made in His image. And if you study the history of humanism, it really had a Christ, Christian foundation, but really lost the core of God at the center in the Enlightenment, and then took on its own life. 
and produced all sorts of problems that we live in the midst of. The bitter end of humanism is things like Hitler and Stalin, abortion on demand, untempered nationalism, freedom as the highest virtue, gender fluidity, resurgent Marxism, cultural chaos. These are all natural outflows of, of a humanistic worldview, not a biblical worldview that says, in the beginning, God. Descartes, the philosopher, says, I think, therefore, I am. The Bible says, the I am exists, therefore, everything else. In the beginning, God. And this is just such an important thing to understand and to live off of. And, and, I, and I would submit to you that life and existence and logic and everything doesn't make any sense apart from this reality that in the beginning, God, the I am, is the self-existent one who creates. Pascal said, I believe in order to understand. The world says I understand and figure out what I want to believe. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The starting place must be, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And it says, in the beginning, God created. He is the one who got everything started. He is the one who, who caused things to exist. He is the agent of, of the beginning of existence. And there are truths with that that, that, are, that we should slow down and think about. In the beginning, God created. So creation is separate from God. And there was a beginning to creation. We'll learn about creation, important, the important, most essential aspects of it as we continue in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and following. But from what we understand... Creation contains time and space. But there was a time when there wasn't time and space. And yet, God existed. In the beginning, God created. So, there was a time when there wasn't. Yet there was God. That is hugely important. Hugely important to understand that, that creation is separate from God. God existed from, from before creation. He exists outside of creation. God exists outside of the space-time continuum. He, he has eternally existed. He will eternally exist. He eternally fills all things. And yet all things cannot contain Him. God is the one who is above all things. He is the creator of this. We are the creation. And by the way, I would submit to you that the notion that in heaven we will live outside of time is a false notion. I see no support in Scripture. Uh, we are created beings. We must live within His construct, the space-time continuum. Um, otherwise, we would, be, we would be God Himself. God lives outside of time, though. He has always existed. He will always exist. He, he can see all time as equally present. We can't even think about that, right? I mean, think about we can't even think about there not being time, right? My, my mind doesn't compute. Like before there was time and space. What was there? 
It wasn't time and space, but God was. I have no ability to understand that. So I just would submit to you that we're not going to live in that place, which we can't even comprehend. We are created beings made to live in God's construct, the, the heavens and the earth. And, and Scripture actually never says the heavens and the earth will be abolished and you will live outside of the heavens and the earth. You are created beings meant to live in the heavens and the earth and then in the new heavens and the new earth. And yet God existed outside and exists outside of those things. This is so important. The Bible clearly teaches us these truths, not just in Genesis 1 by inference as we look at this, but elsewhere. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 25. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need your agreement with him. He doesn't necessarily need your company either. Hang on. I'm, you're probably thinking, oh no, where's he going with this? Hang on. It's important in that to understand he is not a needy God. He's not a lonely God. He had lived and existed for, for eternity past as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally content in His perfections, in His glory, in His goodness. He's unchanging. We get some glimpses of this in Scripture in profound ways. John chapter 17 and Jesus' prayer with the, the Father. So God the Son, uh, the, the God-man, so the Son having taken on flesh, the man, the God-man Jesus of Nazareth, is praying to God the Father. And in that, in that section, there are some profound things that he says, verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed. And that, that basically is shorthand for before creation. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus, the God, God the Son, His experience with God the Father was enjoying this perfect glory, this wonderful glory in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit eternally in the past. And in John 17, 24, he says, you loved me before the foundation of the world, before there was creation. So before creation, the triune God enjoyed perfect fellowship and love and sharing of his eternal and perfect glory among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You weren't there, and yet God was perfectly happy. I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. And I say because I think the Lord wants to adjust your humanism. We're insulted by such thoughts. Of course, how can that be? Now, there is a love in God that we're going to talk about that's grounded on something different than humanism. We'll get there. It's so important to understand this, and this is Genesis 1, verse 1, what it teaches us. In the beginning, God created. And so if these things are true about God being perfectly happy, perfectly glorious in the fullness of who He is, not needing anything, not needing creation, and by the way, there are alternative worldviews that say He does need creation, and there are views that are out there that say actually He is creation, creation is Him, or they're so intertwined. These are false notions. 
contrary to this. And, and they would have been present in the day of, of Genesis uh, when it was authored um, as well. This says God is apart from creation. He doesn't need creation. So you probably are thinking, then why did He do it? Because if you and I make something, right, usually it's because we need something. So if I were to say, well, Peg and I were going to buy a new home and create a new home, you, you would be like, well, there must have been something wrong with the old one, right? And usually that's true. Um, you know, we're downsizing, say, or something like that. That would be normally what goes on, but, but with, with the Lord, He is, he is perfectly happy uh, in His eternal glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why do we have Genesis 1 verse 1? And I hope you see what's going on here. We're only in one verse into the Bible, and we're in the deep waters. And that's on purpose. God's Word is such. It, it, it calls us to, to, to think about these things and find answers. God wants us to have answers. He wants us to be able to swim in the deep end in certain ways and understand. There are aspects of things we probably won't ever understand. But He wants to bring answers to these sorts of questions. Why? What's going on? Now Genesis 1.1 doesn't explain it right away, the why. And I don't have time to fully develop it. But let me start with Romans chapter 11, and then we'll talk a little more about it. Romans 11, Paul is talking about uh, the plan of God and all that God is doing, and in particular about Christ, but he means all things that he's done. And he says this in verse 33 of chapter 11, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I believe that verse, the end of that, verse 36, gives us why? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. God did not create things because He was lonely or needy. He did not create things because He was incomplete. He created things as the outflow, the overflow of His glory. Creation is from His glory. Creation and the plan of history, so that includes not only creation, but the fall and redemption, Christ taking on flesh, dying for our sins, rising from the dead, reigning, returning, coming back to renew the heaven and earth. All these things come from His glory. All existence is through Him. He is in control of all things. He is working out His plan in His glory in His goodness in His greatness. And all things are to Him, ultimately pointing to how good and great and worthy He is. So Paul says, to Him be glory forever. Amen. Creation is the natural overflow of the glory of God. It's not a necessary thing, but a natural thing. John Piper maybe explains it better. He says this in answer to that question, why? God's eternal love in the fellowship of the Trinity was a perfectly God-satisfying, God-glorifying joy. Before there was any creation, God's fullness was on display for God among the persons of the Trinity. And then 
Why did he do this? Why did he create? Why did he do this if he was so full and happy without creation? I would say it's the nature of the fullness of the divine love to share itself. That's just what love is like in God. And this sharing is not the completion of God or the improvement of God. Jonathan Edwards, I think, said it most memorably when he said, it is no argument of the emptiness or deficiency of a fountain that it is inclined to overflow. I think it's a helpful metaphor. We don't say, oh, that, that fountain must have a problem. Why does it have to overflow? It's a fountain. It's full of water. And so it naturally overflows. God is full of glory, full of goodness, full of greatness, full of love, full of mercy, full of grace, full of justice, full of wisdom. And so he overflows in creation. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit creating and creating a plan, creating mankind and bringing redemption. All these things flow out of his glory. And Genesis 1.1 is an invitation to us to come and behold him in his glory. To enter in into seeing his goodness and greatness. Trusting him wholly with our lives. Trusting him. He's, it's a call to the Hebrews in, in the desert. It's a call to us in our time to trust in this one who is so glorious, who has made all things. Uh, for whom all things are made, from whom all things are made, and to him all things are made. He welcomes us, even pleads with us, to turn from our sin, to turn from our foolish wasting of our lives and our trivial entertainments, to find ourselves in the God that is known through his creation, but yet is infinitely bigger and better and greater than the very universe he created. That's what's going on. That's what's going on in your life. That's what's going on around you. He created to demonstrate his glory that you might be drawn in and rescued from living for other things and live in him, loving him, enjoying him, and glorifying him and finding the life that he intended for you. Now in all this, there are some other important truths. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is the creator and who is the creation in here? God is the creator, right? We are the creation. God has a prerogative in his creation. God has a prerogative in his creation to do what he determines is best, wisest, most just, most merciful, most loving. He, he knows the perfect thing to do. He knows what is most glory, glorious, what is the best. He is perfect in his goodness and his greatness. He has a prerogative to do with creation what he determines. And yet, we struggle with that, don't we? I know you do, because you're human. And I know I do. I'm most aware of my own struggles. I have them all the time. There's probably not a day that goes by where I don't have a complaint about God's plan. Something that he is doing or not doing. And I have a thought process that goes on. It's usually not this explicit, but it's more or less, if I were in charge, this is what I would do. You know, there wouldn't be any more problems. There'd be no more trials. Everything would work. Nothing would break. 
would all be perfect in our love and goodness. There'd be no more pandemics, no more political discord, or at least everyone would agree with me. No more decline. Perfect peace and prosperity. And I'd be a multi-billionaire too, and so forth. Those are the sorts of things that go on in my mind. And what am I saying when I think those things? What are you saying when you think those things? I know better than God. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. And yet the reality is, in the beginning, God created. And God is orchestrating His plans. And He is good and great. And when I think that I could know better or do better, I'm actually supplanting God in His glory. I'm thinking I know better. And yet, the truth is, if I knew what God knows in all of its detail and extent, if I was perfect and sinless, if I was most glorious, I would do exactly what God is doing. This creation is from Him, through Him, and to Him. To Him be glory forever. This creation is to maximize His perfections and His goodness and glory. Now, an objection often to this is this idea that somehow God is aloof doing this, right? We're all puppets on a string. But that's not at all what's going on. Because He has entered into creation Himself. This is what's so profound. This is later in the story. We'll get some hints in Genesis. God took on flesh, became a human being, lived a perfect, humble life, suffered, suffered. Think about that. God, the eternal, glorious one, suffered as the God-man in the flesh. He entered into the brokenness of this world. He experienced it. And he experienced it more deeply than any of us ever will. He took upon himself our sins and the just penalty for our sins. The holy justice, the holy wrath of God towards sin was poured out on Christ. Poured out on God in the flesh. He entered into the lowest point of creation and bore our sins. Paid for them. Rose again victorious on the third day. God is not aloof. God has entered in more profoundly than you will ever experience into creation and has permanently bound himself with his creation by taking on flesh. That is what's so amazing about Christmas. And as the God-man, he took our sorrows and our sins because of the eternal love of the Father for his people. He was willing to do this. So don't think that God is aloof and uncaring. Part of His glory is His amazing humility and love. And He had to, as that fountain overflowing, express that. And so He created all things. And He created the plan of redemption. And He created before time began among the Trinity this plan that Christ would take on sins and humble Himself below everyone and be the ultimate servant bowing down to serve us. God Himself, supremely glorious, lowering Himself below us to serve us, to rescue us, to bring us into that which is truly worthy and glorious, truly happy and joyful forever. This is our God. This is His glory. 
in the beginning God created. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth are from Him, all things, all realms are from the Lord. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or domains or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So this is commentary on, on what we just read, Genesis 1, 1. Speaking of God the Son. God the Son, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit work together in creation according to their, their respective persons and different aspects of this. And so Christ says, for, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that's what it means. It means all things, the physical reality, the spiritual reality, all different levels of the physical and spiritual. All the different beings in these different realms, with humans being uh, his masterpiece in creation, the image of God on earth. And creation is amazing. Just the physical alone is just amazing. We are only beginning to understand how glorious physical creation is. And that's one of the, the wonderful things about science and the scientific method, which is only workable in an ordered universe over which a God the ultimate God, uh, the absolute God presides. But it is amazing that the universe is just fantastic in its glory. The universe is, is, has a limit, uh, by the way, from what we know. Um, in other words, you can get outside the space-time continuum, and I don't know what exists out there, but not the universe. Um, and the size of the universe, it's expanding. The size of the universe is 10 to the 25th meters um, that may not mean anything to you, but if you fired a bullet into outer space, like from here, and it could keep on going, it could, it could get into orbit and keep on going, a bullet, it would take a billion, billion years, a billion, billion years to get to the end of the universe. So if you shot a laser instead of a bullet, so a, a laser goes in one second, what a bullet goes in one year, it would basically take you, a, the laser, a billion years to get to the end of the universe. That's how big it is. But actually, it's also that small, too. The smallest particle in God's creation, from what we know so far, uh, when matter starts to become energy, is a quark. And that is 10 to the negative 18th meters. So it's, it's all pretty much equally small as the universe is large. So outer space and inner space is vast and full of all sorts of stuff. It's glorious. It's full of the glory of the Lord. It's full of goodness. It shows us what God is like. That's just the physical. Never mind the spiritual realms, the heavens, and all the different levels of the heavens. Scripture teaches us about some of the things that are going on in the heavens. There are multiple level, levels, the third heaven, the seventh heaven. I don't understand it all. There are all types of angels that are out there. There's, there's probably billions and billions of angels. It talks about myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands. So that's like a billion, but there's perhaps more. We know that actually every believer has a, an angel assigned to them, which is, is wild. They're all types of angels. They all have different names and roles. There's the mighty seraphim who are before the Lord. And they, are, and they 
are seeking to behold the glory of God. They don't see the fullness of the glory of God. They, they can't look into the fullness of the, the brightness of God. They see just really part of His glory. And what do they do as a result? They say endlessly, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. They worship Him. And they're not doing that because it's just their job. They behold His glory. They experience His glory. And it's their joy to worship Him in that way. And that's just the seraphim. There's all sorts of other angels in His creation. Heaven is going to be amazing because we will experience all that worship and in some deep degree of, of all these beings being with us to worship the Lord with His people. This is the extent. And these angels, these glorious angels, long to look into the things of the gospel. We will never fully grasp the wonder of the gospel. And the gospel will never cease to be proclaimed. We will worship forever and ever the God of the gospel. Because creation, in so many profound ways, does express the glory of God, but it's creation including its history, including the redemption that Christ has worked, that shows the fullness of His glory. If you want to know how glorious God is, look at Christ. And look at what Christ has done. Look at Christ bridging the, the gap between infinite glory and perfection, and really infinite offense. Sin against God, because He's an infinite being, infinitely worthy, is an infinite offense. And Christ comes in His perfection and His love and lays His life down, His infinitely worthy life down on the cross to bridge that gap in His great love, in His amazing humility for the glory of God. And so in heaven, we will worship God for creation, but we will worship God for redemption as part of His creation. This is what the Lord is doing this is the meaning here. Two verses just to show you, in case you don't believe me, or you just need some verses. Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Two parallel passages, really, to really show us what goes on in heaven. And notice the two aspects that I just highlighted. Chapter 4 of Revelation. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. And by Your will they existed and were created. So there's worship of God and His glory in His glory in creating all things. And then chapter 5, parallel to this. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is what's going on in heaven now. This is what will go on forever. This is all from, through, and to the one who created all things. In the beginning, God created the heaven heavens and the earth. God invites us in to his creation. He invites us in to his plan to behold his glory, to find our life in him, to trust him fully as we are part of his plan, as he's working out his plan, and he promises us good to all those who trust in him. He promises to use all things, all things for our good. There is nothing going on in your life or has gone in your, on in your life as a believer that is not going to be used for good, for you, and glory to God. And so that truth transforms how we understand ourselves, how we look at life, how we interact with what's going on. It brings with us a mindfulness of our God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Come behold your God and find your life in Him today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. And Lord, uh, we thank you for the difference they make in our lives. And we pray for power, Lord God, right now and this coming week to live in the truth of who you are. You alone are God. You are most glorious. All things are from you, through you, and to you. We get to live in you truly. We thank you for this. In Christ's name we pray.